Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. If you are a guest here today, uh, please know that this portion of our service is called Deeper Waters, and it's exactly as it sounds. We just try to go a little bit deeper into the Word for about 20 minutes. This is not the main message. You will hear a real message. Think of this as an appetizer. So 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1 says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. Which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So we've been talking about the new birth. Uh, and so today we're going to specifically talk about what is the gospel. What is the gospel? So let me ask you this. What is the gospel, rhetorically speaking? And I'm really sad to say that unfortunately most Christians in the wide spectrum of what could be considered Christianity really don't have a good understanding of what the gospel is. Um, matter of fact, I would encourage you the next time that you engage somebody that's considers themselves a Christian, ask them what the gospel is. And don't argue with them, just simply listen and see the kind of answers you get. Because my guess is that there is a serious lack of understanding, even among apostolics, about what the gospel really is. Some people, if you ask them what's the gospel, they will say, well, it's Acts 2.38. But, but, but let me ask you this as a follow-up question. If I'm from the deepest, darkest jungles... Of Africa, and I've never heard the name of Jesus before. And I approach you, and we begin to talk, and you want to witness to me and tell me how I need to be saved. What are you going to tell me? Now, if you tell me I need to repent of my sins, I'm going to say, well, what's a sin? I may not even know that there is a God, much less having been a person that's ever even heard the name of Jesus before. So you can lead me into the waters of baptism. You can persuade me by all the words that you would like to persuade me with and, and use all the persuasion tactics to get me into that water. But if I have not come to faith in Christ first, then that baptism of water, no matter what name is pronounced over me, is really meaningless because repentance has to precede baptism. So you would begin with the gospel. Now, the gospel, the only definition of the gospel that I'm able to find is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And that's what Paul said. He told them what the gospel was. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that is the definition that Paul gave in our text. So Acts 2.38 is really not the gospel. It's the application to the gospel. It's how we apply it or get it into our lives. It's how we put that work of act or that work that Jesus did on the cross into our life. Because if we look upon baptism apart from the work of the cross, then baptism, even in the name of Jesus Christ, is a work of the flesh. We should never de-emphasize what gives repentance and baptism its efficacy. And that is the power of the blood. Therefore, the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first mention of the gospel, of the word gospel in the Bible is in Matthew 4 and 23. And Jesus actually was the first person to use it. And it says this, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sicknesses and all manner of diseases among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all that were sick people, 
that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had palsy and he healed them. So this word, the gospel from the Greek just simply means good news. So Jesus was the very first gospel preacher. Amen. He was the first gospel preacher. So nobody else knew the timing of a new kingdom being set up on earth and that the Messiah would be the one to set it up. So when it says Jesus came to proclaim the news of the gospel, it, he wasn't proclaiming his own death, burial, and resurrection yet. His message was simply there's a good news that, the, that there is a kingdom that is coming. There is a new kingdom that is, yea, even being set up right now. As we learned last week, the law was fulfilled when? Not a trick question. When was the law fulfilled? When he died on the cross, right. So during this time, the law was still in effect, and Jesus would have been keeping the law. But there was also like this layover time when at the same time the law was coming to an end or getting ready to be fulfilled. At the same time, Jesus was also saying there's a new kingdom that's being getting ready to set up. Okay, so the good news Jesus came proclaiming was that he was the Messiah, which he proclaimed by the good works and deeds that he did. Acts says it like this, that Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So that's speaking of him in his messianic role as a son of man and a son of God. He was the Messiah. He, he, he went about proclaiming that the kingdom of God, when it comes, will have authority and power over sickness and the devil and sin. And that's why he came proclaiming. So it was a little taste of what the kingdom of God would be. And so that's what he came proclaiming. In Matthew 3 and verse 1, it says this. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, even John also came proclaiming that. There is a coming kingdom. For this is he that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. So we learned from last week's message what John's message was really about. And that was John came to, to exalt every valley and to level every mountain. That's quoting from Isaiah 40, verse 3, where it says this of John the Baptist. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every crooked mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. So we came to make straight the paths. In other words, as I explained last week, uh, every, val every valley would be brought up, every mountain would be brought down. There were those that thought they were really close to God because they kept every jot and tittle of the law, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they did all the law, and they did all these things. And then there were these publicans and Pharisees, or not Pharisees, but there were these, uh, there were these harlots and sinners, and they thought that they were really far from God because they're really down there in the valley. And so John the Baptist came to even the playing field. He came to say, everybody is a sinner. And in doing so, by convincing them of their sin, he prepared the way for Jesus to come and die on the cross. Because if man has, doesn't feel his need for a Savior, then there's no need for him to even see the reason why he even needs to come and die on the cross. And so John the Baptist had a message of repentance. Okay, John's, John's message was a repentance. Repentance always prepares the way for Jesus to come and fill you with his spirit. 
He said, when Messiah comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. He came to afflict the comfort, comforted, and to comfort the afflicted. That's what John the Baptist came to do. He came in the same spirit as that of Elijah. It was a pro- he was a prophet of repentance. And it, and it showed Jesus actually called him Elijah. Elijah has already come, and it was John the Baptist. Of course, he wasn't literally Elijah risen from the dead, but he was in the same spirit or prophetic ministry as that of Elijah, in the sense that he called people to repentance. He named out sin. He was unafraid to call out Herod's sin, for example, regardless of the consequences. No true preacher ever brought anyone to true repentance by, while respecting their person or sparing their personal feelings. Amen. And so whenever we get messages of repentance, we ought to be in agreement with the word of God and receive it with meekness because that's able to save our souls. We have to preach it straight. Look at Matthew 3 and verse 10. John said, and now the, also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which brings not forth good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So now we get to the heart of the message. The Messiah is going to come and set up a new kingdom. Amen. And, and this new kingdom will come by when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. So John proclaimed how the kingdom would come, that it would come with an infilling of the Holy Ghost. It still comes that way. Amen. But Jesus proclaimed when the kingdom would come, that the kingdom is coming right now. It's being, it's, it's being set up right before your eyes, uh, right here on earth right now. It is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3 and 5, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So from Nicodemus' Pharisaical uh, teachings in his mind that Messiah would come and set up a kingdom, but it was a physical kingdom. But Jesus said, no, 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 it's a spiritual kingdom, and you've got to be born all over again, and that's how the kingdom uh, would come. So Jesus had to die on the cross and be raised again in order to give us access to enter that kingdom. So Acts 2.38 is not the door. Jesus is the door. Acts 2.38 is how we appropriate that work into our lives. Amen. So look at Acts 2, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and, and, you know it was just crazy in Acts 2. Think of it as a shout down Sunday night service. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak to the tongue of the Spirit, and the Lord gave them the utterance. And you know what? 17 different nations were gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And they were all standing up there, and they had never seen or heard anything like this before. What would you have thought to? They were drunk. Peter stood out and said, well, actually, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. That doesn't matter for some, for some drunks. But apparently in that time, it did mean something that it was 9 o'clock in the morning. Men don't normally drink at, 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 at that particular hour. But Peter, Peter, Peter stood up, and he said in Acts 2, Now remember, who had the keys? Who was given the keys to the kingdom of God? He was given, although not at, not at, I mean, at that time, but even whenever Jesus said in Matthew 16, You are Peter upon the shock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I always say unto thee that I will give you the keys to the kingdom of God. And then he proceeded to talk about authority and power. But Peter was given the understanding of the message that would open the door to the kingdom of God, both to Jews and to Gentiles. 
So whenever they needed a spokesman, it was, the, it was Peter that the Holy Spirit moved upon. And he stood up and he said this in verse 16. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and I and my handmaidens, I will pour out in my spirit of, in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall return to the darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter first explained these are not drunk, but this was what Joel prophesied about. And not only that, but it's happening in your day. Remember whenever Jesus said, quoting from Isaiah, I work a work in your days, and un unless you really pay attention, you're going to miss it. And, you know, the, the day of their visitation was now. It was right before their eyes. I pray that in the service that's happening today, when God begins to move, that we do not miss what God is trying to do. Because if our minds are wondering, or we came here and we can't wait until he's done speaking, then you know what? We, we've already checked out. We're going to miss what God is doing. But there is a wonderful work that God wants to do in your life if you will simply allow him to do it. Don't be like that generation. Amen. So, so Peter explained they're not drunk. It's what Joel prophesied about. And it reminds them that Joel prophesied that in that day, whosoever calls... Upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we'll come back to that in just a minute. But look at what he continues to preach. This is the first Pentecostal message that was ever preached. In Acts 2 and 22, says, You men of Israel, he's continuing to speak. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that death should be holden of him, or that he should, it was not possible that he should be holden of it, meaning death. So, what Peter prophesied, first of all, he calmed them down and said, we're not drunk, we're not a bunch of weird lunatics, but this is what Joel prophesied about. you got to pay attention because God is doing something in our day that you have to get into. And secondly, he began to preach to them the gospel. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is exactly what Peter just preached. Remember whenever Paul told the Romans in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised them from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is the gospel. If you believe the gospel, you can be saved. Amen. And so that was never meant to be, well, say a sinner's prayer and you're saved. That was meant to be, you have to believe in the gospel. That he died, that he was buried, that he rose again. And if you do that, then you can repent of your sins. You can be baptized in Jesus' name. And God will fill you with his spirit. You can appropriate that work into your life. So what Peter, what Peter first persuaded them of was the death, burial, and the resurrection. Now Peter spends the rest of his message convincing them from the Old Testament that Jesus was raised from the dead. He goes back to the Law and Prophets. In verse 32 he says this, This Jesus hath God raised up. Whereof we are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, 
And having received the, uh, the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he has shed for this, which he now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That word Lord from the Greek is kurios, and it's basically the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Jehovah. He is Jehovah and he is Messiah, all rolled up in one. He was God and man. And when the gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection was declared, conviction fell on their hearts, and the Holy Ghost fell on them as a result of that conviction. Verse 37 says this, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You know what? The gospel works anywhere it's proclaimed. It works in a storefront. It works uh, in somebody's living room when you've got a Bible set, set down on their coffee table. It works in a multi-million dollar edifice. It works, uh, it works anywhere it is declared. It simply works. And when we declare it, we don't need smoke and mirrors and fancy tricks and nice music. It, it, it works with an eloquent, well-spoken evangelist or a stuttering, stuttering, uneducated preacher from the backwoods of nowhere. As long as it is the pure gospel, it will always work. No matter what lips it's declared from. Because it's not the speaker that has the power. It's the gospel that's got the power. And that gospel works. I thank God for that. The same key that opened that door back then still opens up the door to the kingdom of God today. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said, what shall we do? I pray that the words that we speak would would allow conviction to fall on people. Not condemnation, but conviction in love, where they will feel the, the love of the Spirit of God, maybe perhaps for the very first time. You know what? People are out in bars you know, on Friday night and Saturday night, not because they're always such bad people, but because they simply don't know the presence of God. They have no idea what it feels like. And if many of them knew the presence of God, they would run to it. So we have to be that presence of God for them. We've got to carry that presence of God with us. Amen. And so, and when they heard this, it said they called in the name of the Lord in baptism, just as Peter had preached, that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is an unequivocal fact that the New Testament church understood that prophecy that whosoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved, that they connected it to water baptism. Acts 22 and 16, this is Paul talking about how Ananias told him what to do to be saved. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. How? Calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. I thank God that many years ago, way back in 1981, I was 10 years old, and there was a preacher named Sister Messer, who has long since gone on to be with the Lord, that declared to me the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one night I believed in that, and I lifted my hands and repented of my sins, and with tears streaming down my cheeks, God filled me with the Holy Ghost, and I was able to get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank God for the gospel. It's what makes us different, because we understand how to appropriate that full work into our lives. Let's stand today. Let's lift our hands, and let's thank God for his word. Lord, we magnify. Come on, let your voices out for just a moment. 
Thank you, Jesus, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nobody like you, Lord. That gospel works. It still sets the captive free.